0: Now, for the Faith FM Breakfast Show, with your hosts,
1: Lyle and Lawson. No, 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 just no. It's not Lyle and Lawson this morning, it is Lyle and...
0: Blair back Blair.
1: again. Blair's back again. <laughs> great, great to have Blair. So a special welcome to everybody this morning. Listening across the network, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and a massive shout out to those listening in Border Town, South Australia on 87.6, Manjimup, Western Australia on 88.0 and Stanhope, New South Wales, on 87.6. We'd really love to hear from you guys, particularly if you were listening to the Stanhope transmitter. You know why? Tell me. I built that transmitter. You're kidding. I built that transmitter. It's on the top of a mountain. It's a solar-powered site. And well, let's the, hope
0: you screwed it on well. So yes. You It know.
1: doesn't blow away. <laughs> but the, the, the uh, antenna for that transmitter, the tower for it, is a very tall straight ironbark tree. Oh wow. You happened to be in the right place. We cut the branches off. Most of the branches off, it, are still alive. Wow,
0: I would have assumed they were all put on buildings, but we're utilizing trees now.
1: No, it's like it's it's way high. And, and height is everything when, and we just well, like, that's well, right. why wouldn't we, why would we put it here when we could put it up there? There you go. So if you're listening in Singleton, Greta, Brangston, any of that kind of area this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Love to hear that that transmitter is out there doing its thing and getting getting the message out. Blair, what are you thankful for this morning?
0: Oh, I'm going to a weekend to catch up with friends and eat good food. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, man,
1: that's going to be amazing. I think I might be at the same weekend. So we've got a lot of things to be thankful for this morning. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM positively different it's the breakfast show here on faith fm you're with lyle and blair this morning and blair's gonna bring you the first question for the quiz absolutely and it's a good one this morning
0: we're gonna throw the question to you according to proverbs chapter 11 a woman without discretion is like what in a pig's snout
1: there you go, <laughs> um, Solomon, not holding back right here. That's just right, saying it as it is. That's right. So I that's... think there might be a number of offended <laughs> <laughs> offended women <laughs> back in his day. That's right. Well, that's
0: uh, but but there's a good prize up for grab, so it's worth pushing through and sending an, uh, an answer into our line. The Prize, of course, is a two-volume set, The God Cares, two-volume set on Daniel and Revelation. Uh, I have this set, actually. Fantastic set and uh, certainly worth checking out. Uh, covers all of the prophecies in the books of Daniel and Revelation, so worth checking out. So again, that question, according to Proverbs 11, a woman without discretion is like what in a pig's snout? And you can call in to the number... It's 0491 064
1: 669. Fantastic. Well, that number one more time, 0491 064 669. Call a text, let us know your answer to the question. And a quick reminder, if you want to play along for bragging rights only, we would still love to hear from you. Just put a star beside your text message or let producer shell know when you call through. All right, Blair. Let's have some positively different news this morning. Yes. Well, uh, quite a interesting. Interesting
0: stories to share this morning. Actually, uh, came across a story. Of uh, kayaker Bonnie Hancock, who has just paddled around, in, well, paddled into the record books for going around Australia as the youngest person in the quickest time and the first woman uh, who's, who's done that. So, okay, so
1: Australia's been circum- circumnavigated by a kayak before?
0: That's right, has been done before, uh, but this one has been done in uh, 30, she's 32 years old and uh, she went around it in 254 days. So around eight months started last December and finished last month. Not a bad uh, effort. That's a lot of distance.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's a long way. Australia's that's, a big
0: continent. That's a lot of paddling. And she she said the first month her back was just on fire the whole time <laughs> oh. trying to get through uh, get around in time. But um, you imagine know,
1: what her back muscles look like now. Oh,
0: I can't imagine. It'd be ripped. Yeah. So she she said that um she's got quite a few stories from this. Of course, she's battled crocodiles, sharks hypothermia she said she battled waves as high as six meters
1: uh before. now did this include tasmania oh that's a good question i don't know or just the mainland well that's i mean you talking about hypothermia i'm thinking yeah you could definitely get that down in tassie
0: well that might be something i have to look up I'm not sure about that but i'm not sure what the record book requires whether you have to duck out around or just Cut through. I mean, is a, is Tasmania part of Australia? Oh come on, Blair! Tasmania is the promised land.
1: You need see see see. I need to educate Blair about this. this yeah. is just no no no.
0: I love Tasmania. <laughs> I, I, I've been, we, we we don't want to offend our Tasmania. I love Tasmania. It's a great place. Um, I'd I'd move there happily. Yes. So yeah, they're looking at her for the um uh, the Guinness World Record books. You know, so, you
1: did just sit there say that on air, right? Oh yes, and you know know what time of year it is, right? (laughs) Oh no,
0: yeah. So, quite a cool story, really. And um, what what made the the story even cooler is that she's got uh, she raised money for over seventy grand for a charity, Gotcha for Life, um, raising funds for um, uh, mental uh, health and these sorts of things. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic little story. And uh, speaking of mental health, of course, it's quite uh, quite the thing in the times that we're living in it, isn't it lots of people struggling with yes. mental health um and so uh, another great initiative that's come out of the University of WA is that uh, they've actually established a room called the living room uh, which is a drop-in service staffed by students for students for mental health checkups uh, but what's really cool about this that um they've reported as having fantastic success uh with the young people coming and being uh Able to talk to other young people, just finding it quite easy to uh, share some of their burdens and whatnot. But what I found really cool about this story is that they have actually utilised uh, some a little dog in a little dog in the living I room. I love dogs. You've got a little dog. <laughs> I do. I've, I've got that, a slightly bigger dog. That's right. A real dog.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got a real dog. Well, actually, you know, he looks like a real dog, but he's kind of not. Yeah. He's got a soft heart. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think was... he's got a
0: softer heart than your dog. Wow. I'd love to uh I've, we've got to make the meat then.
1: But my, my my dog just gets super sad, like really sad when anything dies. <laughs> oh, wow. Like really sad and upset.
0: They really just... do have feelings. Oh, they do. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so so I mean I've got a, I, I was always down on small dogs until I got my own small dog, little Marlowe, the miniature Dachshund. Twelve thousand followers on Instagram, by the way, Marlo <laughs> no. underscore the Duxon. Uh, for those who'd like to get on board and see some inspiring stuff out there, but a uh, bit, bit of self promotion. Anyway, back to the story. It was quite cool. They, uh, they they've reported a lot of success of the students coming, interacting with the dog, chatting to the peers. And they've had uh, quite a few people coming through. I think they had 1,500 visits in 2021 um, by over, around 600 individuals that were coming in and checking in. So what a fantastic initiative to mm-hmm. uh, really support the mental health of some of the young people.
1: Yes, and owning a dog and having a dog is something that is absolutely fantastic for mental health because it gives you a, it gives you purpose, it gives you something to do, and it gives you unconditional love. Absolutely, it's what I love about dogs. It's just unconditional love. You they will home just
0: love you at the end of the day, and you are greeted amazingly.
1: Yes, every single time. <laughs> uh, every single time, you are that dog's favorite person. I so love that about them.
0: There isn't. I've got another story to share. There, uh, there's headlines have been hit this week uh, as. The oldest known manta ray was spotted celebrating 40 years on the
1: Great Barrier Reef. First, okay, so then they've known about this guy for they what they tagged him or something. Or so it was first he was first uh, photographed. Taurus
0: is what they've named him. Taurus the manta ray first photographed in 1982 uh, around the Great Barrier Reef um, and photographed there by an um, uh, ocean photographer and. Just have been cited again recently celebrating 40 years, and they, they, he was photographed initially as a mature adult manta ray, and so they are. They've not, they're have not. they not aware of any other manta ray. They consider this the oldest manta ray known to so research. So he was first
1: photographed as a mature adult 40 years ago. How long does it take them to reach maturity? Because he could be 50 years old.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, they, they 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 don't know exactly how old he is, but um, there's no other known manta ray that's been recorded for such long a period of time. So he's the oldest, they're saying.
1: They need to put a tag on this guy. We need to find out what the, what age they live to.
0: Yeah, how cool! And and the other cool thing about this story is that they've got a. Uh, he's he's not Taurus. He's quite the um uh, the local. They've spotted him quite a few times around there. Uh, but he's not the only unusual manta ray there as well. They've also got a mutant pink manta ray. Hot right. pink? Right. Well, I wouldn't say hot pink. pink. Maybe. Maybe it's not hot pink. It's, it's not hot pink. It's just pink. I'm um, pink. Yeah, just it's pink. pink. But it's quite a, quite a quite a beautiful manta ray. Well, that one's going to be one, an easy one to follow, I would think. You'd think so. There can't be many of that. That was it's a mutant, so they're not. You know, it's it's not normal. To no, be, <laughs> to be in pink. Uh, but yeah, quite amazing to see some of the um, that you know as they followed this, as they've researched the manta ray, just seeing how long it can be, um, and, and quite a milestone really for Australia, the oldest known manta ray and represented on the Great Barrier
1: Reef. So I'm wondering about this pink one. Is that like an albino manta ray? Is albino a thing that fish and sharks do? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, an albino will have, you know, white skin, white hair, pink eyes in most species, and I'm wondering whether you have an albino manta ray that is just pink all over rather than white.
0: Yeah, well, they, they the experts have said that they assume it's um, it's the color has been developed from a genetic mutation, but the, um, aside from that, haven't seen, we don't know? Yeah, haven't I,
1: seen. I I'm interested. I'm wondering. I mean, it seems to have not harmed it in any way. It seems to be surviving just fine. So, not so much of a disadvantage to be pink.
0: Yeah. So Australia hitting the headlines in some fantastic ways over the last couple of
1: couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, it's one of the things I love about the creation of God is that you get this tremendous variety and then you can get these variations that are just just completely different. It's like, where did that come from? Mm. And you sort of wonder about the potential for variety that we have, you know, within the different species that exist that maybe we don't even know about. Mm. Maybe in the New Earth we will know more about it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You're listening to The Outliers with When Overwhelmed with Doubt and Fear. It's Breakfast Show on Faith FM. You're with Lyle and Blair this morning. We are about to have more serious news. Before we do, Blair's got another question for the quiz.
0: That's right. A biblical phrase, to patience add godliness, to godliness add brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness add what? That's the question. You can text it in, call or text it in to 0491 to go in the running for the God Cares set, the two-volume set exploring the books of Daniel and Revelation. And that prize will be drawn later on this morning. So definitely get your text in, your get your name in the drawer to go in for that prize and that question again. To patience, add godliness. To godliness, add brotherly kindness.
1: And to brotherly kindness, add what? Okay, if you know the answer, you know the number to call. Give us a call right now or send us a text message, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Moving on to more serious news. There's a passage in the Bible, Revelation 13, where the Bible says that the Antichrist causes all. is at the end of time. Small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no one would buy or sell except he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Fascinating prophecy right there, particularly when you look at it in the context of some of the things that we see happening in our world today to restrict people's ability to buy and sell. I mean, last week we talked about PayPal threatening to fine you know, everybody two and a half thousand dollars every time they committed a thought crime on social media.
0: What a crazy story that was! You know, you
1: just you just put the wrong thing on social media, and PayPal's coming for your money. But lots of backlash from that. Ooh,
0: they they lost a lot. Backed down of,
1: real fast. They like
0: I think the the viewers to the cancellation page spiked by five hundred or something
1: percent. They were saying the uh, shares <laughs> dropped six percent instantly. Ouch! Yes. Okay, so here's another interesting one. This is Chase Bank in the United States, one of the biggest banks in the United States. And it's just shut down a religious nonprofit uh, with no cause given. So this is the National Committee for Religious Freedom, the NCRF National Committee for Religious Freedom. Okay, this is a nonpartisan group. It's not aligned with any political party. And it's led by a former United States ambassador, Sam Brownback. Wow, and they—they they, you... okay. So they just started up. You're kidding. Okay, now you got to hear the story. Hear the story, okay? Um, so one of the uh, NCRF, this is the National, the uh, Committee for Religious Freedom, the National Committee for Religious Freedom, just went to make a deposit, mm. and the staff are like, uh, "That account has been closed." And so the director uh, Justin Mirth asked why the account had been shut down. He was told that the decision was made at the corporate level, that it's secret. And it's irrevocable. No way. Okay, it gets better, it gets better. Uh, So then you've got uh, Chase employees told the NCRF that they were prohibited from providing any explanations. Wow. Okay, so of course this hits the media. The media starts asking questions and and Chase Bank came back and they said, look, the reason is that the non-profit did not provide the requested documentation within 60 days.
0: Oh, there's always one of those little... Kind of clause
1: things. Except, except the account had only been open for 20 days. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) This is pretty full on. You're scrambling
0: to come up with an answer to respond to the media frenzy and it just falls far short.
1: (laughs) It's just like, whoops. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Who said that? Okay, so then they provided the uh, National Committee for Religious Freedom the requirements that they would have to uh, fulfil in order for them to allow them to trade, to buy and sell. Wow. Right? This is the requirements. What what are they? They They have to provide a donor list. Like everybody who's donating, they have to provide a a full donor list. They have to provide a list of all of the causes that they will be supporting.
0: Surely that's a violation of privacy.
1: Okay, it's, it's the Committee for Religious Freedom. I think they're going to support religious freedom causes.
0: <laughs> You'd think so, wouldn't you? You would
1: think so, wouldn't you? And the criteria that the group uses to determine said causes.
0: So they're basically just trying to figure out whether they support this organisation or not, and if they don't, they won't allow them to do
1: banking in any form. Well, they've already decided they don't support it. Wow. Uh, because they're supporting religious freedom. Wow. So support religious are they freedom.
0: standing by this Are they or oh, yeah. are they caving under the
1: pressure? I have not caved. I have wow. not caved. So the uh, so the nonprofit has launched um, its uh, hashtag chase away campaign. <laughs> and what they're finding is that other faith based organizations are sharing similar experiences. Incredible. So this is one of the big one of America's biggest corporations, one of their biggest banks. You know, this is like the Commonwealth Bank or the you know the Westpac bank size bank in Australia. And, uh, you know, they've expressed concerns that the banks will shut down more accounts in the future if those accounts belong to Christians, particularly Christians that support religious freedom.
0: That's incredible.
1: This is Revelation 13 right here. Um, the director Justin uh, Murph of the NCRF said, "If they can debank the NCRF, a multi faith, religious, nonpartisan, non profit, what happens when they start debanking pastors and Christian business people? Fantastic question. And Christians. Well, there's the well we just read about it. we just read about that in Revelation 13, didn't we? It's coming. It's all right there." Okay, so we did talk. We we did say we'd talk about the uh, the packing pastor. <laughs> this is an interesting one. I, I saw the I saw this one. I am like. Oh yeah, that's America. Yeah, I know. I know a pastor in America who carries a gun whenever he's preaching. He's he's packing a gun, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not just a he's a seminary professor. He's a real Christian. <laughs> he's sold out. <laughs> so, I mean, and his theory is that you know. Um, places of worship are frequently targets of attack, and so that's anyway. So this one's from Mexico. So they don't call him the Packing Pastor; they actually call him Call him Padre Pistolas. <laughs> that's a good one. And right. he's just been suspended by the Catholic Church. He's actually a uh, a Catholic priest. Um, he's been leading a church located in uh, the state of Michoacan. Oh, my Spanish is terrible. This is where I need Lawson. Um, and it, which is a really, really violent state. He's been uh, pastoring a church there for 17 years and he's like, yeah, he gets up in, in the in the pulpit and tells everyone to carry guns to fight off the drug cartels and to defend the defenseless against drug cartels.
0: Wow and so is that why he was let go from yes. the church?
1: Now he hasn't just been let go. he's been placed under interdict. Oh, you know what that means? Oh that's not good. For he's him. banned from heaven. Wow. They've actually locked him out of heaven. So he was formerly a priest in the Catholic Church. He's still a priest. He's just a priest under interdict. Interesting. Yes. How does that work? Well, the way it works is that um, Pope Francis holds the keys. That's why they're on his flag of heaven and hell. And he's basically used both of those keys at once. So he's locked heaven, opened hell for this particular pastor until such time as he... May change his makes, views. make change oh. his views. I mean, they're pretty controversial views. You can't, you can't oh. deny that. It. It's pretty wild. <laughs> the pastor gets up and tells everyone to go buy a gun. That's um... But I, what I find most interesting is the use of interdict. It's not something that we often see used today. We've definitely seen it used in the past where whole countries have been placed under interdict. Empires, in fact. The Holy Roman Empire was placed under interdict under Henry IV. Um, England was p- placed under interdict uh, under King John. This is back in the in the Dark Ages. And, you know, these were entire countries that were locked out of heaven for a period of time until they came to heal. Uh, and, yeah, you've got it happening here. I mean, the guy's done quite a bit of good stuff in the community. He's known for... He built a school um, and is known for raising funds for building roads and so forth. And so, in a developing country like Mexico, that is always appreciated. Yeah. And you know, I think it's I think it's easy for us to sort of sit back here on the other side of the world and go, "That's pretty wild," but we don't live in a state where people are being literally murdered every day All by around you, Absolutely. drug cartels. And so, you know, it's just. It's just an interesting story, this one. It's an interesting situation. Very quickly, just finishing off, um, in the Ukraine, the Russian forces in the areas that they have annexed, including the Crimea, Crimea, have gone on a rampage of shutting down every single church except for Russian Orthodox churches. Oh, wow. Including Ukrainian Orthodox churches and declaring that the Russian Orthodox church will be the only church that will exist. So we well, need that's to that's one way of trying to
0: get your church name out there.
1: Yeah, uh, it, it is. It is. And walking into church services and shutting them down mid-service. Some of these of course have been, you know, live live streaming as it has happened and so you people have actually been able to see what has been taking place. And-
0: You're listening to the Breakfast
1: Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: Another question for the quiz right now. That's right. Fill in the blanks. In that day, seven women shall take hold of blank, blank. And the prize that is in the draw is the God Cares two volume set getting drawn later on this morning. So worth sending a text into 0491 064 That question again. In that day, seven women shall take hold of blank, blank.
1: Dr. Jessica Peck is the author of a book that has just come out called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. And I couldn't think of something that could be more relevant right now than this particular subject, all the way from the United States. Dr. Jessica Peck, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me and hello from Texas. Now,
1: Dr Peck, you've put this book together and I'm just wondering from your research, this is a well-researched book and it's quite a significant book, what do you see as being the biggest challenges that parents are facing in raising teens and tweens because you kind of cover both of those in the book? (laughs) Uh, What are some of the biggest challenges that we're facing right now?
2: There are so many challenges. And for me, as a professor, I'm really alarmed, especially about the research emerging on the current state of mental health for teens today. And as a pediatric nurse practitioner, I know that life isn't perfect. And I'm meeting families in crisis who are facing things like eating disorders or emotional trauma, cyberbullying, social media, uh, negative experiences, all kinds of things. And as a mom, I'm a mom of four teens myself. My teens are 13, 15, 17, and 19. I see my own kids and what they're struggling with and what they're facing in the world today, and I know the pain and heartbreak of wanting to be a good parent, but just feeling like you don't know where to start or like you're failing. And so I realized for me as as a professor, I could use my academic experience and my hands-on nursing experience and my heart and experience as a mom to encourage and equip and, and empower parents to build healthy relationships with their teens. I
1: kind of feel that parenting teens has changed the most dramatically in the last 20 years. And uh, I've parented children during that time period as well. My children are now in their mid-20s. But I ended up as a parent or my wife and I ended up as parents facing issues that we had never faced as children going up that our parents had never faced, and so therefore we had no modelling. No one was able to model to us how do you deal with these different issues. Do you find that a lot of parents are facing the same kinds of issues where they're being faced with problems that they've just never even thought of before?
2: Absolutely, and that was my experience. And not only did I not have a model for that generally, really this book came personally, for me, of a place of broken relationship with my parents and not having any parents to guide me through those teen years or to have any sort of parenting wisdom in that way. And so that was hard. And I actually opened the book with a story about my 13-year-old daughter. She was 13 at the time. She was my oldest and arriving at that place and parenting teens and feeling completely unprepared and overwhelmed. And we were actually having a recurrent argument as we were driving in the car, and she was sitting in the back seat, and she threw the book that she was reading right at my head while I was driving. And that was a real watershed moment for me, and I pulled over, and I did the most important thing I've learned to do as a parent, and that's to pray. And I just prayed and asked God to help me to meet her because she told me, you don't know how to parent me. You were born in literally the previous century. (laughs) And she was (laughs) right. I think many times parents, what I hear when I say I have four teens is usually I'll get sympathy or condolences or prayers, or most of the time I get jokes. And people use humor to, to disguise pain as a coping mechanism that we use. And there's a lot of shame and stigma surrounding challenging moments in parents today. You're not going to get judged if you share that you're having trouble potty training a toddler, but if you share that your teen is struggling with self-harming or with mental health disorders, then people do judge you, and that can be a really difficult place for parents to be. That's where I wanted to give them the tools and behind closed doors to build those healthy relationships with their teens and walk through those challenging issues together.
1: So if I just draw from that, then I remember parenting young children and when you're parenting young children, you know, obviously young children are pushing the boundaries, they're trying to find security in having those boundaries and they need to be reminded where they are from time to time and simple things like... Young children, you take them to the supermarket and suddenly the boundaries are different and if you discipline your child in the supermarket, you're going to have half the parents there thinking, <laughs> judging you and saying, you're a terrible parent. And if you don't discipline, the other half are going to be saying, you're a terrible parent. But those those kind of issues are very small compared to the kind of judgment that you might face if your teenager is self-harming or requiring medication for a mental illness, right. where, where do parents start with dealing with those kinds of emotions in and of themselves so that they can be mentally able to work with their teenagers?
2: That is such a good question. And really what we're seeing is stigma and shame. And stigma is an unhealthy coping mechanism we use. To, as parents, to deal with our fear that something bad is going to happen to us or someone we love, it's just social rejection. We don't want to see our child go through the challenge that we're seeing, so we try to think of a way that makes us different. Oh, your family's experienced divorce, or your family's having financial hardship, or you know, your family um, you know is doing something that's different than my family, so that must be why it's it's not going to happen to my team. And really, what we know is that 81% of parents rely on the Internet to search for information. And let me tell you, Googling your way through a parenting challenge is not an effective or successful strategy. I have i confess I've tried it. But only 16% of people will tell a trusted friend about a problem they're having. And something is wrong if we're too insecure to talk to a trusted person about a parenting challenge, but secure enough in our Google answer to handle it. So I think what parents can do, a t- tangible practical step, is to think about who is on your team. Parenting teams takes a village and who is in your village? Who are the people that you can trust and that you can go to for counsel, for encouragement, for support? It may be a pastor, maybe a coach or a teacher that your child has. It may be a friend or a relative. But we need those people in our life who we can trust. And who we can go to and be connected to resources, and talk about the things that we're experiencing, so that we can get encouragement to get through them together.
1: Mm, I think that is such valuable advice, right there. Uh, you know, I like to remind parents from time to time when they do open up about what their teens might be going through, and which is incredibly hard. That you know, we live in a very broken world. We live. We we are all mm-hmm. dealing with a sinful nature. We are struggling with you know, just the pressures of life. And yet God, who once lived in a perfect universe where there was no sin, lost Satan, uh, one of his creations. And so if God can lose a child, then, you know, we shouldn't beat ourselves up. We should reach out for the help that we need to get. And, uh, And, yeah, I love what you're saying about reaching out to our community and reaching out to God with these kinds of issues. Now... I guess every generation that has ever lived has probably said that their generation deals with, you know, the 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 most complex, you know, environment for <laughs> raising teens, but it seems to me that right now the complexities of life are just infinitely more than they have ever than, than has ever existed before, and we seem to be seeing that amongst our teenagers there seems to be a much higher level of depression and mental illness and you know things like mm-hmm. self harm and so forth would that be a fair analysis of where we are at in society in western society today
2: it is a, it's a twofold problem really and you have to look at it from two different angles for one thing this generation is courageous enough and willing to engage in conversation about mental health in a way that no previous generation has before. You think all the way back to World War II and the greatest generation, what we call people who fought there. And they came home and they had trauma, and they dealt with it by being stoic and emotionally unavailable. And then we see how generations came from that, especially in America. But this generation is willing to talk about it. Look at Simone Biles, who withdrew from the United States Olympics gymnastics team, citing reasons of her mental health. And some people said that she was a hero, and some people said that she was a traitor and to her country. And the truth is, she was neither. She was the young woman who was struggling with her mental health. And so part of that is that we're talking about it more in a way that we haven't talked about it before. But part of it, the other half of it is the contributors to the complexities we're facing at the pace of life. I don't think that we were designed as humans to consume this much information and to be so connected and to be on such overload. The Internet has taught teens to consume information in micro-sized pieces and, you know, 15- or 30-second reels. And you can't build relationships through 15- or 30-second interactions. And I think the overwhelming avalanche of information that they're facing all of the bad things that are happening in the world, you can see all of those things, uh, online, uh, online in real time. That is just overwhelming and it makes teens feel anxious and disconnected. Even though they're connected technologically, they're disconnected relationally. And that's where we as parents in our generation, generations previously, can be really effective in sharing our old school wisdom with their fresh world perspective and helping them to be grounded and to know how to build those real relationships and real places in real time.
1: With, uh, in your book, you talk about creating safe spaces. How do we go about creating safe spaces where we can connect with our, teen, our, our teens? And what, what do those safe spaces actually entail?
2: Mm -hmm. So in each chapter of the book, there are 12 chapters, and I go through a particular issue that teens are facing today, whether that be divorce or sexting or pornography, cyberbullying, all of those things. And in each section, I take you behind the clinic door and show you how does a teen who is experiencing cyberbullying, for example, end up in a clinic, and what do I tell them and their parents? And then I tell you to take those conversations at home, and I give you specific settings, specific activities that you can do with your team together, specific questions. And I've modified a technique that we use in pediatric practice called motivational interviewing. And it's how I'm able to talk to teens. And it's just four simple steps. It's listen with your face, give them your whole face, put your phone down, put away any distractions, and give them your full attention. When you say something, the first thing that you should say are questions, offer open-ended questions. Then validate the emotion that they're feeling, even if you disagree about the cause of it, you can acknowledge and say, I see that you're feeling upset. And then exploring next steps together, so having them be empowered to um, to make decisions and make plans to, to face the challenge that they're facing. I also walk parents through writing a legacy letter, so that's a letter to your team through each chapter that's writing, like, for example, one would be being an eyewitness historian to a victory that you've seen your team have and writing it for a generational keepsake so they can look back at that and see the victory that they've had. I see it as a big misconception. Parents think their teens don't care what they have to say. But they care very much what we have to say, especially about them. And in these conversation settings, what the main message that I give is that relationship building takes time. It takes time to set up these conversations. You're not going to read a paragraph in a book and then implement that and have an instant relationship and an instant good connection. It takes time. The first time you give your baby green beans, they may hate it, but you still tried to give them green beans. And it's the same thing with conversations. We have to be in parenting for the long game and recognize that it may take time to build up trust and relationship. But if you're dedicated and if you if you do it and you put in the effort, you'll see those seeds you plant that are harvested in another season.
1: Mm. Dr. Jessica Peck, you've written a book here that is incredibly relevant for the time in which we live, and I thank you for doing the research to put all of this material together. It's obviously come from a place where you have a tremendous amount of experience in dealing with these kinds of issues with your own family as well as uh, in the work that you do. Um, When and where and how do we access the book?
2: You can go to drnursemama.com, that's drnursemama.com, um, and you can click on get the book and it will show you all of the retailers that are available. You can buy it even in Australia. Um, the paper book comes out October 18th, but you can read portions of the book online if you pre-order now.
1: Okay, and that in Australia will be available from Koorong. And so if you'd like to get your copy, you can head all over to Kurong And October 18, will you be able to put an advance order in, I would imagine, to be able to get Dr. Jessica Peck's book called Behind Closed Doors. Dr. Jessica Peck, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.